0: Hello, and welcome to Good Selling Radio, podcasts for sales professionals looking for peak performance. GSR shares ways to make new and existing customer relationships easier, more effective, and more enjoyable. In a changing and busy sales world, take
1: some time to stop for a moment and reflect, reframe, and refocus.
0: Well, welcome to Good Selling Radio. We're going to reverse the roles today. Uh, over recent days and weeks, I've been talking to a colleague, at Sarah Myerskoff about a number of issues around trust. And she's been asking me some questions. And we thought that we would do an interview with her questions and my answers. So welcome, Sarah, as a guest host.
1: Thank you, Richard. I'm really looking forward to guest hosting with you.
0: Good. Good. So over to you.
1: So, Richard, I've been absolutely uh, blown away by uh, all the things I've learned from you. And I think particularly we want to talk around the trust, uh, building trust uh, in today's episode. So let's start with a very broad question. Why does trust matter so much?
0: Well, every aspect of life, but in business in particular, we're in a, a phase of trust where trust is at a premium. Um, there's a wonderful writer called Rachel Botsman who wrote a terrific book called Who Can You Trust? And she talks about three phases of trust. In the old, old days, in medieval times, we lived in villages, um, we knew everybody, we knew their background, we knew who their parents were, and you knew who you could trust. You could trust so-and-so to shoe your horse, you could trust so-and-so to either pay back the money or not pay back the money. Very simple. Then along comes the industrial revolution, urbanization and so forth, and we don't know everybody. So we look to institutions and expertise. So we trust banks with big pillars and we trust people with lots of names or lots of letters after their names uh, and uh, the stamp of approval uh, educated by or approved by this or that fellow of the other. And then if you look at what's happened, it's out the radical change over the last years about the way we've stopped trusting institutions and experts, trust me, I'm a banker, no longer resonates quite so well. Uh, The media, the church, the medical profession, uh, education, almost wherever you look, expertise and institutional trust have been completely knocked away. And they've been replaced by what Rachel Botsman describes as the third phase of trust, which is distributed trust. Uh, We go online, we read reviews, uh, we go to Glassdoor to find out what an employer would look like. We read the reviews on booking.com or uh, wherever, and we don't trust the seller anymore. We trust what other customers are saying. And so in that world, We need to think what's the role of the seller, the relationship manager, the subject matter expert, the technical expert, because technical expertise and institutional uh, approval have largely gone. And so how do we adapt to that new world of trust?
1: I think that's really um, interesting. What's what's going to happen? You've talked about the three phases. What direction do you see the world of trust going?
0: Well, I think there's in the past we probably would have had the view that well trust is something that just happens it goes at its own pace sometimes it's fast sometimes it's slow not much you can do about it if you lose trust it's lost forever and so forth I think there's an increasing trend and I think we should just talk about that in a minute for managing trust not in a cheesy manipulated uh, cheaty way Uh, you can't make people trust you but you can manage trust and there's some really good writing out there so i think that's definitely a trend Uh, i think there's a a challenge to be consciously competent Uh, i think there's a challenge to be aware that we are functioning in a different trust space and i think that we need to treat trust as a learnable skill
1: i think that has a lot of um relevance when you're talking about trust and customer relationships. And Mm. I'm quite fascinated by the part that sort of this idea of a manageable trust plays in business relationships. What's your um, take on that?
0: I think if you look at the the phases of a relationship, trust works in different ways. Um, In Malcolm Gladwell's book, Blink, he talks about how we take uh, very, very quick rapid decision, talked about rapid cognition, um, that intuitive thing that we almost see in a child where they decide whether they uh, trust somebody or not, or uh, a dog, whether they said they're going to trust another dog or uh, a human being or a horse. Uh, there's that primeval, it's, it's not instinctive, but it is a very rapid decision to trust. So I think we have to recognise that that continues. Incidentally, that's really interesting in a world where we're doing most of our talking remotely uh, at the moment. How do you how do you manage that that interaction? But after that instant decision, then there's a period where we engage in trust, and we think in those early stages of a conversation, um, how do we build trust, which increases to the point where it probably pivots. Because at a certain point, uh, the customer and we, possibly as the provider, are saying, "Hmm, I think I trust this person enough to take a deeper dive into this subject, to show more of myself, uh, to show my concerns, to share my problems. And at that point, trust often takes a bit of a dip because I've exposed myself and, and my fears and my concerns. And will you behave in a trustworthy manner? Will you scoff at me? Will you be condescending? Will you will you laugh at me? Will you uh, say, oh, idiot? Um, and I'm a bit worried about that. If you deal with me well, the trust then rises up to the point where we begin to engage. And at that point, you have great opportunities to demonstrate trust. Arguably, the real moment when trust is tested is when something goes wrong in the relationship and how do you deal with it? And there's all sorts of good stuff written about how um, a problem solved cements a relationship when it's well handled even more than when there's no problem in the relationship. So uh, I I think there's also something about um, how clients choose us that when they're deciding who to shortlist, they're looking at our competence But when they start deciding whether they will actually work with us, they start looking at our character and they they choose on less uh, tangible things.
1: I think it's quite interesting that you've mentioned the digital world uh, that we've been living in for however long now, uh, because you've seen into people's lives much more than you perhaps would have. And I know previously um, it, it was all done on good first impressions. Whereas this digital world's given more of, of oneself, you know, you've got kids coming in at the background, etc. but also the stuff that's available online before you've even met or spoken to somebody, you've formed an impression of, of, of them, of their business, of their trustworthiness. How, how do you handle that?
0: Well, I think first of all, we've got to recognise it. Uh, Google talk about a zero moment of truth. So we used to talk about the first moment of truth when we meet for the first time and we form an impression of each other. Uh, The zero moment of truth is we need to manage what's gone on before on that. And the importance of that is that depending on which uh, authority or research you take, uh, between 50 and maybe 60 percent, a half to two thirds of the buying journey is often complete before we meet with a human being. My big experience of this was getting a call from a bank in the Middle East who said, Uh, We've shortlisted you for a a major project. I said, how can you have done that? We've never met. So, well, we've done our research. We've done our due diligence and we've shortlisted you. And I thought, well, what am I supposed to do? And my job as a salesman is to pitch me and my organisation, but they've already taken the decision. Um, And I had to realise that we'd moved past the, the competence judgment, could we do the job, to the the character bit, well, what would we be like to uh, to work with? So we have to recognize that a lot of the buying journeys happen before our selling journey has started. So what do I do? I, first of all, I recognize you will have formed an opinion of me. I might want to be aware of how you've achieved that. So I'd want to check who's been looking at my profile on LinkedIn immediately before the meeting, because you might have checked that out. Um, I might want to have picked up from my network if somebody's been asking questions about me. Um, I might want to ask the question, um, now in this digital world, um, what impression have you formed of me and my organization as we start this conversation? What's the starting point? So as a minimum, I need to recognize it. Um, but I then need to think about how I position myself. Um, and it's probably going to be different from spilling the beans completely and trying to explain everything. Uh, it might be that I'll have sent a video ahead of time to introduce myself. Now, hi Sarah, I know we're going to be meeting uh, in a week's time. Just thought I'd explain a little bit who I am, blah, blah, blah. And if you want to know more about me, you can check me out on LinkedIn. So as far as possible, I need to manage that zero moment of truth.
1: That's really, really interesting. How does it feed into... I've heard you talk about um, trust taxes and trust dividends. How, how does that sort of feed into the bigger picture? <laughs>
0: I think that's a, it's a great phrase. It's not mine. Um, it, one of the really, really good writers in this space, can't recommend him too strongly, uh, is Stephen M. R. Covey and his book, The Speed of Trust. And he talks about um, where trust is high, there are massive savings to be had. Uh, He cites one CFO who's done an analysis of their supply chain and the cost of managing a supplier they don't trust compared to the cost of managing and working with a supplier they do trust. Uh, Reviewing contracts, uh, checking quality, um, doing reviews, all of those are immeasurably shorter in high-trust relationships. Uh, he talks about the time we waste in internal discussions. That where trust is high, we have one conversation, decision taken. Where trust is low, uh, we send emails. We have pre-meetings with people to get them on side. We avoid the subject in the actual meeting. And then there's a whole load of horse trading that goes on afterwards. And a decision that should take 20 minutes takes 20 weeks. So he talks about the payback that we can have. And whenever I talk uh, to either buyers or sellers in this space, they say, yeah, absolutely. Uh, Trusting relationships save us money that's not that we should be naive it's not that we don't do our due diligence but it's probably going to be due diligence light um, rather than um, going into it saying I think these people are trying to scam me so let's look under uh, at at every piece of detail
1: yeah I can see that how that's played into sort of business relationships that I've been involved in and the the intense time taken where you're a bit unsure that's quite an interesting um, concept and I shall definitely read uh, Stephen Covey's book I'm a fan of his dad's book Um...
0: yeah they're all called Stephen Covey in that family and uh, (laughs) uh, that's good incidentally there's some really really good videos so if you just google Stephen M. R. Covey the speed of trust uh, if you don't want to read the whole book there are some some really good videos out there
1: fabulous and perhaps we can put a link to a couple of those in the show notes yeah let's
0: do that
1: so you've mentioned uh, sort of I suppose broadly competence and character during some of the conversations that that we're we've had in the world of business what sort of practical indications are there that makes us trust or not trust people
0: so what are the indicators of trust? We'll need to go to the Covey family. First, to Stephen Covey Sr. in his Seven Habits. And he says we trust because of two reasons competence and character. Competence is about knowledge, it's about connections, it's about experience and expertise. To some extent, it's about behavior. Character is about the view uh, will you lie to me? Uh, will you, how will you deal with problems? How will you deal with, with difficulties? Um, Are you the kind of person? Now, I've got people I know who I have the highest respect for their competence, but I don't trust their character. Things I've told them somehow seem to always get into the public domain. Um, I know that they don't always tell the truth. I don't trust these people. I've got two people particularly in mind. Some people are delightful, but they're kind of chocolate teapots. Now, their, their character's lovely, but bit. competence just isn't there. I like them, but I don't trust them. Then I can think of a handful of people where I trust both their competence and their character. Um, I think of a guy called Chris. I think of a guy called David, who I know that they listen well. They're interested in me. They care about me but they've consistently given me good advice, they're well connected. So I think one thing to work on is why do people trust character and competence? And in practice, that means ask yourself in every interaction, what am I doing to demonstrate competence and what am I doing to demonstrate character? The other side of the coin comes from the younger Stephen Covey, Stephen M. R. Covey. And he talks about four things that drive trust. So he talks about integrity. Do you walk the talk? Do you have courage to challenge when things aren't as they should be? Um, Do you just demonstrate that, that integrity? And he talks about humility in in integrity, um, not believing you've got all the answers. He then talks about intent and maybe we can come back to that, but he talks about declaring your intent earlier and signaling your intent to people is what makes people trust us. Thirdly, he talks, Uh, about capability. How do we talk about our capability? Not in a way that's blag and bluster, but how do we demonstrate our capability? Uh, Not boasting, but being able to say things like, well, if you were to talk to my clients about this, I think what they'd say about our approach is this and this and this. Um, You might like to read my recent article in the Times on trends in sales. Have you looked at my video on this? Um, I suggest you talk to my colleague who who is a real expert on that. There's a phrase I I love about demonstrating capability, uh, and I heard it first from a um, a private equity professional uh, who was trying to persuade a CFO to take a particular st- action, and the CFO was being congenitally indecisive. And uh, this uh, private equity guy said, uh, "Sir, let me remind you." This is well-traveled territory for us. And there was such authority in his tone, um, without giving too much away, I'm afraid, that's a phrase I find myself using uh, once or twice a month. Um, So uh, Covey Jr. talks about integrity, he talks about intent, he talks about capability, and he talks about track record. Um, Can you demonstrate and give evidence for the things that you've done? So on the one hand, competence and character, Stephen Covey Senior. On the other hand, integrity, intent, um, capability and track record from Stephen Covey Junior, for me, are the real indicators that people use to decide if they can trust you.
1: So um, one question I've got for you, Richard, is how manageable is trust as a process? And are there practical ways of... Sort of speeding up that relationship, trust-building exercise.
0: Absolutely, trust is manageable. We can't manufacture it, we can't create it, but we can accelerate it. Um, and again, that's Stephen Covey Jr.'s thesis in *The Speed of Trust*, the clues in the title of the book. And he he argues, and I, and I absolutely buy into this, that we can we can accelerate trust by doing certain things. So step one that he talks about is, um, is declare your tr- your intent early. Now, this sounds and it feels a little bit in- uncomfortable, particularly for those of us on on this side of the Atlantic. Uh, but he talks about signalling He says that, you know, when you're changing lane, the highway, the motorway, the auto route, the Autobahn, you you should signal first. You're not signaling for your own benefit, but you're signaling to others saying, I am about to do this. I'm about to take an action which may impact on you. So he talks about very early on explaining to a client your intent. If we're going to work together, I might say, if we're going to work together, I just want you to hear early on about what you can expect me. You can expect me to challenge if I think we're going down the wrong route. You've got every right to expect me to to listen and listen well, and if I'm not, please come, come back to me. You can expect me to do this, you can expect me to do that. Now, that's usually implicit. I might think, well, you should know that about me already. But Covey's argument is, I signal it early. You might signal it by something about pricing. Before we get into too much detail, I want to tell you that we're not going to be the cheapest in our field. We don't set out to be. So if you're looking at price only, we're probably not the right people to be talking to. Uh, we will seek to demonstrate value, and I'd like to work with you on building a business case. Okay. So I signal early. I then do what I've said I'm going to do. And obviously, that's that's basic, it's fundamental. But then thirdly, I say, if you remember when we started this conversation, I said this was my intent. And I hope you can see how I've sought to carry that out. Now, is that risky? Yes, it is. But his argument, and my experience absolutely underpins this, is that If we signal early, if we then execute, and then if we gently remind, this is what I said I do, and this is what I've done, it moves trust much faster than simply doing a good job, which is the way I would have said you built built trust in the past. So that's managing and accelerating trust.
1: I think that's really interesting, because you learn in school when you're writing stories, you know, tell them what you're going to do, do it tell them what you've done, and that sort of idea comes through every sort of different walk of life, and it's about managing people's perceptions and expectations, isn't it?
0: Yeah, and I think that it it particularly comes into play. I've been having a conversation with uh, a large insurance group at the moment, and, and only this morning we're having the conversation, you know, how do you transfer trust from a relationship manager to a product or technical specialist? Um, We were just saying, well, we do need to explain to the client and to our colleague how things are going to work. We need to be more overt up front. Now, I'm going to introduce you uh, to my colleague, Emma. Uh, I think you'll find that her expertise in this particular area is outstanding. However, I'm not just going to pass the ball to her and walk away. Uh, I'm going to be involved throughout if at any time you're not comfortable with the way the conversation's going with Emma. You can always come back to me uh, and I'll be there for you. Um, and so I'm expressing that, that intent uh, early on. I think that's particularly important when we do this trust transfer in more complex relationships.
1: Absolutely. I always like, um, having heard you talk on the subject many times, uh, your, uh, I say, your the trust equation. Can you? It's 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 a very process driven um, sort of idea. And as somebody who is uh, less process driven, more relationship driven, uh, I've sort of it. I've found it quite interesting. Can you can you tell us a bit more about it?
0: Absolutely, and it 100% is not not my concept. So it originally comes from a book, The Trusted Advisor, uh, written by David Meister and Green. Um, so Meister and Green's Trusted Advisor, really, really good book. Um, you can look at Green's work on this. Again, you can Google it um, and it's absolutely their, their focus and they, they talk about it better than anyone I know. Um, their argument is that trust, there's a formula, there's an equation, which is that T, trust, equals C, plus R plus I divided by S. I hope you got that. So um, (laughs) trust, trust comes from credibility plus reliability plus intimacy. So I trust people who come across to me as credible, credible in the questions that they ask, credible in their knowledge of my sector, credible in their connections, credible in their background, credible in their bearing. So I'm looking in every transaction to say, Am I demonstrating credibility? Yeah. Am I adding to the credibility? The R is reliability. So we trust people who prove themselves by being reliable. Do I do what I say I do early in the in the um, in the the debate and in the in the conversation? Do I respond quickly? Do I am I accurate and so forth? Um, becomes more complex in the many-to-many relationships where. I'm not just the reliable myself, but I'm introducing colleagues and other departments, or sometimes even partners. Um, So I need to manage as much as I can the reliability of others. Um, And then thirdly, intimacy. Do I come across as warm? Again, quite difficult in this uh, remote environment. Um, Am I, do I show interest in you? Do I listen to you? Do I care? Um, Do I remember that you uh, been on a particular trip, or uh, there's something going on with your children, or you've been on a particular course, or you support such and such a team. Um, Now, again, that can be really cheesy and over intimate. And we've got to manage the balance well. But there's no doubt that that development of intimacy, plus the reliability, plus the credibility, are all trust enhancers. So I'm working with colleagues, when I'm being self-aware, I just ask myself, so in this relationship, what am I doing to build credibility, demonstrate reliability, and foster appropriate intimacy? However, Green's argument is that those are the above the line, the multipliers, the divider is self-orientation. So I can be really credible, I can be very reliable, I can be very intimate, maybe even a bit too intimate and a bit, but If I come across as only being really interested in me, that will divide everything else. So I only ask questions so I can show how clever I am with my answers. That's very high self-orientation. So think about your self-orientation. Are you being generous? Are you giving the client something of value that maybe isn't to your advantage? Are you taking the time to listen? Are you showing how much you care before you show how much you know. So the trust equation, although it sounds formulaic, is immensely and powerfully helpful. Just ask yourself, what can I do to increase credibility, reliability, and intimacy? And what can I do to play down self-orientation?
1: I think that's a really helpful concept for for many, many people, and I think, The self orientation is somehow it is sometimes divided, where people are not actively listening. I think active listening has a huge sorry, part. What was that?
0: Sorry, what did you
1: say? Active listening has a oh, sorry, huge I'll part. Just
0: out what I was going to say
1: next. Yeah. Ah. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> See. Absolutely. But, it, but it's true, isn't it? Active listening um, is, is a skill set that a lot of people don't um, possess. Nope. And a lack of active listening can be perceived as self-orientation, which I think is quite difficult and worth thinking about.
0: Very, very much so. And of course, active listening is, of course, it's partly attitudinal, being genuinely inquisitive, nosy, uh, but also caring about the other person. I, I want to hear uh, more. But it is also a, a learnable skill. So, you know, even if I can't change my character, I can change my behaviour. Uh, I had a colleague who used to write on his notepad when he went into a client meeting, you're here to listen, uh, just to remind himself to do that. So,
1: yeah. I think that's very powerful. I think that's that's got to be top tip number one. Uh, but I'd really like, you know, your advice. Uh, for business people, myself included, on what your sort of top tips are to make trust this manageable process that we can put into place time and time again. So what are your top tips, Richard? That's good. I
0: think I'd pick up on what you said earlier. Um, Be a good listener. Um, I think recognise trust as a manageable skill. And in every interaction, ask yourself, What am I going to do to build trust? Is it about demonstrating competence or character? Is it about signaling intent? Um, What do I need to do to take trust up a level? I think managing the self is key. Um, And just making sure that I'm being genuinely customer centric, I'm motivated by the success of my customer. And I believe that if my customer succeeds, I will succeed. Um, I think those are, you know, those are some of the things. I think just this willingness to be open oneself, if one wants to get a trust, open, trusting relationship. It, it's not a one-way street. It's not an interrogation. It is openness and willing, willing to. Willing to be trusting myself. You know, there there are two risks with trust. And maybe this is a a good point to end on. There there are two risks with trust. If I am too trusting, then occasionally I will get done over. It's a risk. I recognise that. I'm not therefore going to be naive. But I am going to choose to risk being trusting because... The other risk is not to trust my experience is that i see people lose out more by not trusting than ever they do by trusting so i'd really urge myself you anyone who's listening in work on trust because there is as stephen mr covey says a trust tax but there's also a trust dividend
1: richard thank you so much for your time once again it's a pleasure to talk to you and i always learn something uh, more thank you
0: thanks very much thank you for joining us for this video short if you've enjoyed what you've heard have questions or feedback please let us know and we'll be sure to get back to you